everyone, and welcome to Baking with House of Bread. In today's show, I'm going to discuss equipment that is needed to start the bread baking journey. I thought it'd be easier to come up with a simple list, but there are way more choices out there than I even knew of. And there's a range of prices as well, and it can be a little bit confusing. And now I understand, while in my baking classes, that students ask me exactly what they should buy and where. Before I get into that, I should disclose that I'm a frugal person. I don't consider myself cheap, but frugal, and there is a difference, right? Because frugal people are careful what they're spending their money on, right? Cheap people want you to spend your money on them, right? So no one likes cheapskate. But I'm a simple person. I mean, I drive a seven-year-old Ford Hybrid. I kind of would like to have a Tesla, but I got to sell a lot of bread for that machine. So right now, my Ford C-Mac gets 40 miles to the gallon and takes me where I need to go. And my style has a lot to do with my parents, who were both raised in the Depression. And the lessons of respecting money are well known to me. And as a small business owner, you have to buy what's necessary, not just what's nice to have. And you also have to think about what is the return on investment, or ROI is what I call it, on each purchase. And the list below is divided into what is needed and then... What is nice? So I went on Amazon to find the items that will do the job without too many unnecessary expensive bells and whistles. It's not that I'm recommending you buy on Amazon. I just want to give you an idea of what the item looks like and where you, what you should expect to pay for it. And many of the items are sold in your grocery stores or department stores, such as Target, Ross, Walmart, or wherever. And also there are beautiful kitchen appliance shops like Williams and Sonoma, but you're going to pay extra for that beauty and your dough, your dough really doesn't care, right? So we're going to start with what's necessary. Okay, so a bench scraper or dough chopper, which is exactly what it sounds like. This is the tool to chop the dough when you're dividing the dough. And also this is the tool we use to when we're making our monkey bread or apple cinnamon swirl or raspberry swirl. And lastly, you can use this tool to scrape the table or whatever work surface you're using to prevent the dough from sticking. And it helps with cleanup too. So wet doughs are sticky and often will stick to the table. You can use the bench scraper. You basically scrape the dough off the table. You put a little tiny bit of flour on the table and then your dough mass and you start kneading again and it'll be less sticky because dough will like to stick to other dough. And so you just kind of scrape what's on there and back into the ball, tiny bit of flour and continue kneading. And you really want to avoid dividing too much flour because you do not want a dry loaf. So the bench scraper will just help aid in working with the sticky doughs without having to add much flour. And it makes no difference to the dough if the handle is wood or stainless steel. So that's your preference. So there's a dough scraper. Now the dough scraper is again pretty much as it sounds. It's a soft plastic malleable size instrument. And then basically what we use it for is to scrape the sides of the mixing bowl. So it'll bend to the shape of the bowl when you're trying to, one, scrape the dough down so you can get it back in the mixer and get it going again. It also will help you make cleanup a lot easier because what we do is we scrape out all the extra dough, whether it's our muffins or our bread dough. You got to scrape it into the trash because that stuff goes down your sink. I mean, it, it's going to clog it up, especially dough. It's very hard on plumbing. So you basically want to scrape whatever is not in your dough ball that you go to make bread with, that should go in your trash. So mixing bowls. The bowl just has to be big enough for the dough to be able to double in size. 
It can be glass, plastic, or stainless steel. And chances are you already have a bowl in your kitchen that's going to do that job. So measuring devices. You'll need three sizes of cups. Basically a one cup, half cup, quarter cup. I, you know, and you could get by with just one cup as long as you knew where the half cup and quarter cup was. And so I think of it in rules of four. Okay, so there's four cups in a quart, four quarts in a gallon. Then there are the smaller spoon size measuring devices of tablespoons and teaspoons. These are the rules of three, three teaspoons and a tablespoon. And you should know that there are 16 tablespoons in a cup. So an eighth of a cup would be just two tablespoons. Also, in recipes, when they use a capital T, that means tablespoon, and a smaller T means teaspoon. So bread loaf pans. I suggest buying two loaf pans and making sure that they're large enough for your dough. The dough should be about two-thirds the size of the pan, which will allow the dough to rise almost to the top before you need to put it in the oven. And then you got to account for an oven spring, right? So the dough will grow again in the oven. So that's if you bake a loaf of bread with the dough spilling over to start with, it's just going to overflow on you. So I recommend starting with like 9 inches by 5 inches. And if you have something that's 8 by 5 inches, I mean, that'll, that's, that's close enough, right? So you don't need to go buy a new set. Just use what you got at home. So now I use steel pans at the bakery, but aluminum glass are just fine too. Just remember, if you're baking something in glass, it will retain heat which is why you want to reduce the oven temperature, basically about 25 degrees of whatever the recipe tells you to when you're baking with glass. Sheet pans, otherwise known as cookie sheets, right? So my guess is you already have some of those in your kitchen. If not, you just want to make sure you buy a half sheet, not a full sheet pan. Okay, so we'll use full sheet pans in the bakery, but those are not going to fit in your home oven. And you need a sharp knife to score the dough. Again, just use your home knife and cut quickly and shallow, no more than about a quarter to half an inch deep right before the dough goes into the oven. You can also purchase a bread lamb too, which is under the nice option, right? So a bread lamb sounds like lamb, the animal, but really it looks like lame as in that's lame or that's bad. It's just spelled the same as lame. But anyway, so scoring properly is more about timing and depth rather than the tool you use to slice the dough. However, you want a sharp instrument to prevent the dough from tearing. A bread thermometer. Basically, dough turns into bread at about 180 degrees. You could also use a meat thermometer. And when I first opened the bakery, I was told to pat it. And then look for or try to listen for a hollow sound and you'll tell when it's done. Why well, underbaked? And I overbaked a lot of bread. Then someone told me that you can just take the temperature of the bread. And if it's 180 degrees, it's done. And since then, we rarely overbake and underbake breads because we take the temperature of the loaves. But you just want to make sure you poke the loaf in the middle when you're taking it, the temperature of it, because that's where it's going to be underbaked. So if you poke it at the end, it's going to be done where it could be underbaked in the middle. Because it takes, because just if you think of it this way, your ends of your loaf are exposed to heat more so than in the middle. Oven mitts. I know that sounds kind of obvious because the pans are going to be hot and you want to hold the hot pans with oven mitts, right? So you think that would be enough said. Well, what I will tell you is that when you start getting into harder crusted, high temperature baked breads, I really suggest getting oven mitts that go over your elbow. 
And especially if you're going to work with like preheated pans that you remove the oven, like a Dutch oven or whatever, and then you put the dough in it to bake it. So we have very large oven mitts that go way up over to the arm, up over your elbow. And otherwise, I can tell you that, you know, almost everybody that's baked commercially for a while, they're going to have some type of burn tattoo on their arms. And so that's one way to help prevent that. Okay, so now we're on to the nice options. Rolling pins. Now, we use a wooden rolling pin in the bakery that's just about 17 inches long with a wooden handle. You can also use silicone, aluminum, or you can do a pin with, without the handles. And there are smaller versions that make sense for smaller people, right? So the rolling pin is for rolling out the dough to make soon rolls or pizza doughs. And you can also use it for flattening out doughs when you make, uh, for example, our cinnamon swirl breads or cheese breads when you want to put a lot of filling in the dough. And I will tell you at the bakery, I do not let my bakers use the rolling pin to make cinnamon swirl or cheese breads because basically it adds another step and it takes too long. So we stretch the dough out with our hands. We put the brown sugar and cinnamon mixture in the middle and they roll it up and then we're done. You know, at home, obviously you don't have to have the same efficient production mentality. So feel free to use a rolling pin and take your time. Lastly, I've had to make doughs while visiting people and they didn't have any rolling pins. So basically what I've done is I just used a bottle of wine and it worked. So you get a full bottle of wine and then you roll it out, right? So then when your pizza is baking, you get to drink the wine, right? All right. So a bread lamb or lame, all right? So it's lamb like the animal. Basically all it is is a razor blade. It's at the end of a stick. We used to use just that, a razor blade tied to a popsicle kind of looking wood stick. And I, I got rid of them because it made me nervous having razor blades around the bakery. And I was afraid someone was going to cut themselves. So now we just use a very sharp knife. And there is links in the show notes to Amazon for bread lamps. And basically they're less than 10 bucks. Okay, food scales. Some recipes call for you to weigh the measure, weigh the ingredients. So I wrote my recipe books for home bakers in volume of measurements, which basically means I use cups and tablespoons. Okay, so there's a lot of debate in the bread baking community about how weighing ingredients is much more accurate. Okay, I agree, right? I will agree that weighing is more accurate than measuring because everybody measures differently, right? But the same time is if it's all about the feel of the dough and most people also already have measuring devices at home. So just start there and really concentrate on getting a feel of the dough because here's the deal. You can measure your three cups of flour exactly one day and the dough turns out. And the next day you put in that same exact three cups of flour and the dough doesn't turn out because there's other things that affect the dough. And so that's why it's important to understand how you can learn to control these variables of timing, temperature, the water content, and the measuring. And I can tell you that on all my commercial bakeries, we actually do, does call for the weight of flour and water in pounds. And we have a very large flour scale that the bakers would put the flour in a bucket and then they transfer it into the making bowl. But what happened a few years ago is the scale broke. And I didn't even know it. And no one told me about it until one, about you know, however long, a year or two later. And I went in there to bake and it wasn't working. Well, I didn't really want to place it. I've got a very small bakery and space is, space is pretty limited. So I just basically 
never replaced it. And so it's been about five years now. So now we train all bakers to know the approximate weight of the flour in the scooper. And we just dish the flour right into the mixer to make the breads. But I will tell you that you want to be very careful about measuring the yeast and salt. Because that's where something where a scale can come in handy. Because weight is more accurate. And it's important to get the right amount of those two items in the dough. You're not going to feel your way to knowing if there's enough yeast salt in the recipe. You still don't need a scale, but you just have to measure. And they are nice. And you have to be very mindful of the importance of those two ingredients. I call them my friends. And why I call them my friends? Because I want to make sure they get invited to the dough. Because if you forget salt, your loaves are going to taste flat. I didn't really know this until I started baking bread. But the salt brings out all the other flavors that are in the dough. And without salt, you don't really notice it too much until you go to taste it. Okay, so the other thing is, is that you can't taste like, for example, honey. You won't be able to taste it if you forget the salt. Okay, yeast. Okay, it's pretty obvious. You forget the yeast, you're kind of screwed, right? So a cooling rack. So bread cools best with the ability to have air underneath it. That avoids a soggy bottom, and no one wants a soggy bottom, right? And the smaller loaves are fine cooling in the pan or on a sheet that they were baked on. But the larger loaves, they do better cooling when immediately removed from the pan and placed on a wire rack. So you have an extra rack in your oven, you can just take that out and put it on your counter. And so it's just a little bit of air, that's all you need. And so you don't necessarily need to go out and get a cooling rack. Okay, a baking mat. The mats are nice because it's easier to clean your counter, quite frankly. I mean, you can pick it up and you can transfer it to the sink. But you're still going to have to clean the counter anyway, right? So the mat also comes with measurements that make it easier for shape consistency. And for example, if you're going to measure out a 9-inch pie crust, it'll give you a little diagram exactly where the 9 inches are. But really, I don't think your friends and family care if your bread sticks or it's uneven, as long as they taste great. And supposedly the dough doesn't stick as easily to the mat. To be honest, I've never even used one, and I kind of doubt you need one. But if you do want one, then at least get a 28 by 20 inch mat in order to fit the dough that you're trying to roll out for cinnamon rolls or baguettes or other baked goods. And if you're wondering about the stand-up mixer on my list, well, the stand-up mixer, as opposed to hand mixers, are often used to knead bread. And I'm not including the mixer or a bread machine, because really to properly learn to bake bread, you need to get a feel for the dough. If you think of it this way, you're developing a relationship, right? One I promise that you'll come to love with the dough. Putting a dough hook between yourself and the dough prevents you from fully being able to read your dough. And bread doughs have temperamental personalities. And the, and all doughs feel just a little bit different. And if you address a budding issue sooner, your dough will respond better and it'll behave better. If it's sticky, you won't come off the sides of the bowl into a ball unless you add some flour, right? For example, then the dough could get too hard, but the machine keeps kneading and you don't know it is too hard because you're not the one feeling it. And some people will argue with me that if you put it in the mixer for most of the knead, you can just pull it out and finish up on the table. But, well, the problem is by that time, your dough may be screwed up and to fix it, you're in danger of overmixing the dough. An overmixed dough gets too hot and the whole dough is weak. In the end result, you'll get a squatty, dense brick with a bunch of pockmark looking things on top. What happened was that the heat accelerated the dough's 
basically what's going on is they exhibit carbon dioxide. If you think of it like exhaling carbon dioxide, and really what it looks like is that's like a bad case of like some teenage acne on top of the loaf. And I guarantee you that you will never over mix your dough by hand, right? To this day, I do not have a stand-up mixer at home. I have an outdoor pizza oven, which I do make a lot of doughs for, and I do it by hand. I mean, quite frankly, it would take me longer to clean the mixer than it would to just knead the dough. All that being said, if you have a mixer at home, you can use it, right? But I encourage you to start the bread making journey without using it, no matter how tempting it is. And I'd even argue that the machine cannot knead the dough as well as an experienced kneader. I mean, quite frankly, I would take one on, right? So not that I'm competitive or anything. I mean, in all seriousness, my grandmother needed bread. She was like 98 years old baking bread. So it really isn't about strength. It's about the technique. Eventually, if you have a real relationship with your dough, then you can go back to using the mixer. You'll know by just looking at the dough in the mixer how it's developing. You can make proper adjustments without having to even feel the dough. It isn't that I'm against mixers. It's just... I want to make bread baking easier for you in the long run. And learning the feel of the dough is worth the investment. And then you can use the mixer. I mean, trust me, we make about 200 200 loaves of bread a day. And we do use a mixer. We have a 140-quart Hobart mixer. It's six feet tall. And one time I was training a franchisee, and she broke the mixer. And all of this happened about, you know, 5 a.m. or something like that. And I wasn't going to call a repairman then. So they, they charge about double that point. So basically what we did is we hand kneaded all the loaves of bread. And I got everybody. I had my retail people. We all were loading. We all were kneading dough around the table. And I think we all had pretty sore shoulders after that morning too. Well, I certainly do appreciate my mixer. And I named my mixer Diesel. I have a tendency to name things. So like I have my sourdoughs named Sam, right? Mixers Diesel and I grew up riding horses, and I named my horses, so I'm also a, a cyclist. So I named my bicycles, too. But anyway, I've had Diesel for 24 years, and when I purchased him in 1996, he was already about 20 years old. And Holbert's the owner of KitchenAid, and the machines work very similarly. If you do want to purchase a stand-up mixer, then I would look for some good used models first, and they tend to last a long time, and hopefully you'll have your very own Diesel yourself. I don't have a whole lot of experience with home mixers, and I put up the question on a social media group um, to ask the home bakers out there, and I saw a lot of answers to this question, but there didn't seem to be a real consistent answer. Okay, Dutch ovens. These pots have thick walls and a tight-fitting lid, and Dutch ovens are usually like a seasoned cast iron, but they also can be made out of ceramic or aluminum, and they've been around for centuries. The advantage with bread, it's easier to control the steam. Okay, so for your harder crusted breads, you want to add steam during the baking process, and you also want to bake it on hot surface. And so if if you heat up your Dutch oven in advance, and then you put your dough in it and put a lid on it, basically what happens is the, the moisture that's in the dough escapes, and it creates a natural steam. You're not adding water to it or anything at that point. And I will tell you, though, I don't like baking with Dutch ovens, um, or you can also use like just two cast iron pans, one on top of the other. Um, but the problem is, is that they're awkward and they're heavy. Okay, um, and you you have to heat them up in advance. 
And so basically, you're, you're having to handle this really hot item, and your chance of it getting burned increases exponentially. And so I, like, once again, I, I come from this mindset commercially that it's, I don't want my, put my employees in a situation where there's danger. So, but if you do want to buy a Dutch oven and use one, to get at least a six quart one, as the bread doughs bake better when they have more room and allow you to make more, a bigger loaf, right? Okay, so the banditones. These are proofing baskets. And what happens is that when you have a super wet dough or a high hydration dough, they spread, right? And so they don't hold up by themselves. And so while they're proofing, if you put them in a bowl, I mean, I've seen people use terracotta plant holders for that matter. Uh, But really what happens is the bowl shape encourages doughs to go upwards rather than spread outwards, right? And if you use a linen with the bowl and properly season it with flour, the linen is just easier to get to form the shape of the bowl all the way up, right? So it'll move up on the sides of the bowl and it won't stick. And also it'll make it easier to transfer to a hot pan or your Dutch oven. And if you like the lines on the finished product and a super round loaf, then I would use the basket. And you can still get round loaves without the basket, but you won't get those pretty lines. It may not be as symmetrical. Again, it's a personal preference, and this is an item you can purchase later, right? If you choose to do so when you get to the point of making hard-crusted doughs. And as I said in a previous episode, you don't want to start there, right? So don't start with the hard-crusted, naturally leavened sourdough loaf. It's extremely complicated, and so reserve buying the Dutch oven for later in your bread journey. Okay, linen and canvas. The linen cloth is primarily used to proof baguettes. It's also called a couch. The linen basically keeps the baguette shapes while proofing, right? So they don't spread again. And linen can also be used to line the proofing baskets. When you first use the linen, I recommend seasoning it with some flour and really try to avoid washing it unless it's absolutely necessary. Okay, home mills. The advanced students may want to experiment with milling their own grains. Once again, this is something that comes later in the bread baking process. So it's not necessary, and it can be more complicated than just purchasing stone ground flour. But the advantages of the home mill, it's fresher tasting, and it's more nutritious as flour oxidizes over time. If you do choose this route, I would start simply and just get an attachment for your KitchenAid mixer. Then advance to having your actual mill. So there are attachments that you can use in your KitchenAid. For example, Mock Mills has a uh, 100 that's basically just an attachment that you put on your KitchenAid mixer. Also, you can try using your Vitamix, your coffee grinder, or whatever. Um, you just have to remember it's got to be ground pretty fine for bread, right? Because if you if it's too coarse, it will cut into your gluten development. And I have an entire episode on flowers that discusses this more so, which is episode one. And with all things in life, start simply and work your way up to the complicated and expensive tools. Just like I tell people first getting into mountain biking or any new sport, you know, don't break the bank, right? So until you're sure that you're going to enjoy this and then you want to advance and then start investing in it. And I'm confident you can learn to bake great bread without all the bells and whistles. Okay, it's, it is time consuming, right? And it is hard for folks outside the home, right? But at home, it's really kind of easy because you can do other things while you're baking bread. So it might take four or five hours, right, from start to finish, but it's not like you have to sit there and watch the dough as rising, okay? So you can shape your dough and then you can go for a run or you can go run an errand or 
watch a movie or I don't know, whatever you want to do. And then you have to come back to it. And that's the beauty of bread, right? So you can focus on other projects. And so, I mean, I'm kind of in the, basically we were in the middle of this COVID-19 and I'm finding that a lot of my friends are posting their photos of their breads they're making. And, and I'm also getting a lot of, a lot of questions shielded to me. So that's one of the reasons I started this podcast and also too, because I've got time. And the beauty of this time at home is I get to focus on other projects that I just didn't have the time to do. And so I'm happy to see people getting into the bread making, right? So it seems to be the quarantine baking, but I do see them struggling necessarily, which is why I decided to get this podcast going. So thanks everyone for listening. And I do have some show notes below. I ask you to subscribe to the podcast if you want to learn more about House of Bread, connecting with me, or perhaps the business of baking with House of Bread. So until next time, everybody, happy baking.